good evening. Turn to somebody and say, you know, he's almost as good looking as Jay. <laughs> yeah, y'all don't really know much about me other than the fact that Jay told you I'm a great theologian, which I find very humorous, and that he, I've been in the ministry for, what did you say, three or four thousand years. Uh, it's not really been three or four thousand, it's probably more like four or five hundred, but I still appreciate it. One of the things you may not know about me, other than the fact that for a long time I was either a teacher or a coach, and then a pastor for many years, is that for 13 years I have been working in the largest maximum security prison in America. It's Angola, Angola, Louisiana. 18,000 acre working farm, 6,200 guys in that prison. The average sentence is 88 years, so I've been volunteering down there for 12, 13 years. Now, I've got a key here up here. It's actually a key that unlocks something in that prison. Now, I want you to imagine if I went up to one of the inmates and said, I've got a key that opens up a door in this prison and it will give you freedom. Would you like it? I bet I'd have a lot of takers. But then I would remind them that there are over 3,000 doors in that prison that take a key this size. And I don't really know which door this one opens. And I'll tell you, it only opens one of those 3,000 plus doors. And at that point, they probably wouldn't be all that interested anymore in the key. But what if I were to tell them, this key would open up any door you need to get out of prison? Would you like it? Again, I'd have guys standing in line for that key. Now, through the book of Acts, this is what, fourth week now, we've been hearing about the miraculous works of God. Pastor Jay has done a great job to lead us up to that point. Tonight I'm going to talk about when God sets us free. And, but, you know, a lot of times when we talk about the miraculous, and Jay alluded to it a little bit as we began tonight, when we talk about the miraculous power of God, we always seem to talk about it in the past tense. Now, If that's the case, what happened? I I mean, is it true that God has changed over the years? If it is, I mean, my Bible's kind of messed up because Malachi 3 says, I am the Lord, I change not. Or could it be that it's this wicked society that we live in today that we just not get in the power anymore? Well, you know, the prophet Elijah dealt with all kinds of uh, wicked reign of Ahab. I mean, so... What's stopping the power of God in our life? I mean, is it government oppression? That's probably, it's probably government oppression. But, but you know, Peter, James, and John battled both religious pressure and government pressure. Well, could it be the songs that we sing that are holding us back? Well, I don't know about you. I, I enjoy coming here on Saturday night because whether you like the beat, whether you like the melody... It's still God's word that we're singing. Oh, I bet it's Pastor Jay's sermons. That could be what, no, well, no. I mean, if, if the sermons are biblical, and believe me, they are, they are, then that's not the answer to the lack of power in the church. And I think you need to thank Jay time and time again for leading the way in making sure God's word is pro- preached in his truth and purity in this church. Let's thank him. 
So what is the key then? What is the key to the problem? Well, the key to the problem can probably be summed up in one simple little word, and that word is prayer. Prayer. Now, I've had some people tell me at the time as a pastor, you know, pastor, what we need is that good old time religion. No, we don't. What we need is a modern movement of God in the church. So prayer, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want that power? Do you want that power that sets you free? Do you? Just a few of you. Okay. Uh, then I'm just going to talk to the few over. I mean, honestly, do you want the power that would set you free? Yes or no? Okay. Well, I want it. I'll tell you that. I, I wrote down a bunch of stuff. I want the power that Paul and Silas experienced when the jailhouse rocked long before Elvis got there. And it opened the prison and they were set free. That's the kind of power I want. I want the power that Stephen possessed when he was being stoned and he could look up and he could say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it says, I looked up and I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Yeah, I find that kind of interesting, by the way. It's about the only time in the Bible that it says Jesus stood at the right hand of God, right? Because most of the time it says he sits. But I, re- I heard one time that when somebody stands up for Jesus, Jesus stands up for them and gives them a standing ovation. I think that's what was happening that time. See, I want the power that sustained James when Herod was about to chop off his head. I, I want the power that the church experienced in Acts chapter 12 that we've been talking about, that we're going to talk about all summer long. Now, if that's you as well, if you want this kind of power... Let's ask ourselves tonight a question. How does this key, this prayer key, how does it actually work? Well, one thing I'm going to tell you right off the bat, it's got to do with three eyes. And the three eyes are simply this. Our prayers need to be intentional. Our prayers need to be intense. And our prayers need to be intimate. Can you remember those three eyes? Intentional, intense, and intimate. But we're going to dig a little deeper, but first let's pray. Holy Spirit, we've already asked you to be here tonight. And I pray tonight that you don't let any words come out of me other than those that you placed in me already. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit tonight in the hearts of the people who are here. They're here because you wanted them here tonight, whether they were brought here as a guest or whether they were drugged here as a family member, whatever it was, Lord, you got them here. And so you have something to say to them. So we pray tonight through your word that you would speak to them, that you would show them the key in their life that taps into the very power of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get into the Word. We're going to start, first of all, with verses 1 to 5 in our text tonight. And you'll see this story. It says, About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews. Now, isn't that kind of funny? You've got to get a kick out of that. Isn't that terrible? It pleased the Jews. And so he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. It's getting pretty close to what would amount to be Easter time in their celebration. And when he had seized him and put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers, about 16 soldiers, 
to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You ever been guarded by 14 people who got you all chained up inside the prison? I've actually spent time in solitary confinement at Angola Prison for one minute. (laughs) Warden Cain says, go on in. I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to leave you in there for one minute. That is the longest minute I have ever spent in my life in a room that I could reach out and touch the walls no matter which way I turned. That's pretty terrifying. So Peter's in prison, and his chances of getting out are about the same chances of a snowball in the Metroplex in July. Not very good. Now, this King Herod, by the way, is the latest of a whole bunch of several Herods. Uh, He is the grandson of the Herod who killed all the babies when Jesus was born. He is the nephew of the Herod who killed John the Baptist. Now, we got this new Herod who had just put James, the brother of John, to death with the sword. So I want you to turn to somebody and say, that's some bad family. (laughs) I'm no kidding. I mean, I got my family here tonight. I don't think any of them are like that. Now, when when Herod saw that this really pleased the Jews, he got pretty excited, seized Peter, intending to put him on trial. He's going to score some more brownie points with the Jewish leaders. Uh, It was his intention to hold Peter, like I said, until after Easter, then execute him. Now, surely, I guess if I belonged to that early church and I saw that they already killed a couple of people, now they've captured the guy who's really kind of the head of the early Christian church, I might start thinking that I might be next. And I might start worrying a little bit more about that. But there is something going on behind the scenes here, and it's something that's being orchestrated by Satan. It was like Satan who was out to try to attack and kill this infant church. Yet there was, there was a, that brought about a great reason for these fervent prayers. And there still is. And because of that, there's no shortage today of what I would call powerful, passionate prison prayers. Not only for our churches, but for the people in the churches, for our pastors, for our church leaders. Now, I want you to look again at verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but... And on your, I want you to underline that word, but. I love that word, but. You heard me say that about a month ago. I love that. But, earnest prayer for him was made by God to the church. This is a dark time. One of the key leaders is in prison, facing death, and yet there's a really important word. But. But what? Well, but what? But earnest prayer. It says, but earnest prayer unceasing, fervent prayer for him was being made to God by the church. And shortly after Peter was released, and he kind of got out of his stupor, we'll get to that a little bit, he found them doing what? Well, in verse 12 it says, when he, Peter, realized that he was actually out of prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together together. Doing what? Praying. They were still praying. The church had one goal in mind at this time during their prayers. They didn't gather together to have their laundry list of the I want this and I want this. Uh, They sought Peter's release from prison. And so this prayer was made to God by the church. 
This church was focused. This church was fervent in its prayers. And friends, we do have the opportunity to do that all the time. You know, I think it'd be a really great, great thing since I make, I make a suggestion that we could pick out one thing for this church and we practice that powerful, passionate, pointed prison prayer. I mean, try rattling all those peas off a few times. And we just get together and we just blast heaven's door with that one prayer. Oh, would not that be powerful? To have God's people here packed into this place praying fervently. Now, when James writes about fervent prayer, you read a little bit further in your Bible, he uses somebody as an example. He uses a guy by the name of Elijah. Now, I always love Elijah. The very first time you discover Elijah in the Bible, he is storming into King Ahab's court. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, he tells him, it ain't going to rain no more, no more. <laughs> There's going to be no dew, no rain until I say so, because I am saying so on behalf of the Lord. And Scripture tells us it did not rain for three and a half years. That's why it's Elijah that James talks about when he says in James 5.16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, or a woman, I should add, availeth much. Now, how could Elijah speak with such great boldness? Well, the Greek word translated fervently, this is my theologian popping out, I guess, but the, the Greek word for fervently is proisoike. And it pictures of an individual who so desires his prayer to be answered that he's willing to surrender anything and everything in his life in exchange for answered prayer. When was the last time you prayed such a prayer? Where you were willing to give up everything for an answer. You set it all aside. See, this means that Elijah could walk boldly into this guy's presence with certainty because he had bowed down before God. And that's what part of that word means, too, to bow down. He was submitted to the God of the Scriptures in every last single way. He was totally tapped in to the power. So what did I say before? Our prayers must be intentional. They need to be intense. But we also see they've got to be intimate because they were all gathered together for this purpose. Now, I'm not saying that if we all got, Jason, okay, pray about this one thing, and we all did it in five, six hundred thousand homes, that it's not good. I'm not saying that at all. But I sometimes wonder if we bring the power all together. And that's what they were doing. And the beauty in this was, was the unity of the church in display. They were all together in one accord. And that's not a Honda, by the way. It means they're all in the, kind of the same room, bowing down, making their requests known. Uh, they offered their prayers to God, and God heard. And then what did God do? He acted with great power. You know, many times as you read through your scriptures, you read about the writings of Paul. Paul tells people he's praying for them all the time. In the churches I've pastored, I've prayed for the people all the time. Many a time I walked into the worship center long before church started and I went and I touched every last single chair. And maybe you've done the same thing. And you prayed over every last chair for that person who would find themselves there. But at the same time, there were many times when he said, pray for me too. You need to pray for this guy. And by the way, you got some spare ones. I'll take them. I'm not, I'm not 
I'd be pretty greedy too. I'll take any leftover prayers. I need them as well. Now, let's see what happens. Verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. So while the church is gathered together praying, Peter is in prison between a couple of soldiers in chain. And what is he doing? He's sawing logs. He's sound asleep. How do you do that? I mean, this is the peace that Noah must have felt when he got on the ark. This is the peace that Daniel probably had when he was in the lion's den. This is the peace that those three guys in the fiery furnace probably felt. I mean, this is the peace that you can have when your troubles appear to have you all locked up and put in prison. See, Peter knew that the Lord was in control. I mean, think about it for a moment. What's the worst possible thing that could have happened to Peter? What's the worst possible thing? Well, actually, the worst possible thing was probably the best possible thing. He could have had his head chopped off and gone to heaven. Is that okay? I mean, you don't want to think about it, but isn't it better to be with the Lord? But meanwhile, back at Durant, or back at the church, what's going on? And now we're going to see in the next few verses that this key also promises three A's. I'm going to give you three. I'll give you three I's, but three A's. When you pray these prayers, there are always answers, there's always amazement, and there's always action. I think you all know that every prayer you pray, God does answer, whether it's yes, no, maybe, wait, let's make a deal, or are you kidding me? (laughs) There are answers, but there's always amazement, and that's what we're going to discover here in action. Now, are you ready to be amazed? Yeah, okay, let's be amazed. Verses 7 and 8. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And a light shone in the cell. Now, I've always wondered about this. I wonder if the light was because the angel glowed. He had some big LED lantern or whatever. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up, said, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now, how's Peter holding up in prison? He's chained to two guards. Two more stand at the door. There's other guys on the outside. He's likely to be executed in the next few days. Now, is he tossing and turning and losing sleep? Is he praying? Well, actually, he appears to be only taking his own advice. You know, if you actually read one of his books, 1 Peter 5, 7, what does it say? Cast all your anxiety on me because he cares for you. So he's not tossing and turning. He's just sleeping. Any of you got something bugging you right now? You got a few appointments you're worried about? Got family to feed yet tonight? (laughs) Decisions? Weddings? Medical procedures? You know, all of us would do well to follow Peter's example. The night before his execution, Peter was what? He was deep in sleep. In fact, he's sleeping so loudly that when the angel appears in a bright light, it says the angel had to strike him to wake him up. Now, I looked in the scriptures, and guess what? The word for striking is the same word that's used for when Peter struck the high priest's servant's ear with the sword and whacked it off. I mean, so he wasn't like, come on, Pete, wake up. 
Bam! Peter, wake up. And Peter got up. Man, he gets up kind of like I do sometimes. I'm about still half asleep. Come on, Peter. You know, Peter's there sleeping in his boxers or whatever. But because he tells you, you've got to put your clothes on, put your sandals on, put your cloak back on. And Peter does that, and he just thinks he's still dreaming. In fact, it's not until he gets completely outside the prison and heading down one street when the angel disappears that he actually realizes he's free. Now, where did this confident Peter come from? I mean, where is the reckless, impulsive, both sandals in the mouth, prideful Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times? Where is all the pride and the bravado? Well, there's no more of that. Why? It's because the power of resurrection endures. The power of Jesus' resurrection lived in him. Acts chapter 12 takes place almost a decade after Easter, and Peter had been for almost 10 years at the very head of the Christian church. I mean, he had preached at Pentecost, and thousands of people got saved and baptized. He shepherded believers through all kinds of persecution. He sparred with religious leaders who were after that early church, and he had even shared the gospel with Gentiles up in Caesarea. Now, pre-resurrection, Peter probably would, would not be caught dead doing any of this. But post-resurrection, the rock lives. The rock lives, and he was thrilled to do them, even facing death. You know, friends, amazing things happen when people pray. You know, your prison may be some issue today that just seems impossible. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be divorce, it could be death, it could be anger, it could be, you know, I got a, friends, a lot of friends who are still in prison or jail. If, if you're in those, here's my advice. Pray. I mean, your prison may be the times when you just don't feel like praying anymore. Guess what? Here's my advice. Pray. There may be times when you don't think you're getting through to God. Here's my advice. Pray. There may be times you feel all locked up. You know what my advice is? Pray. When God's people pray, prayers are answered. But there's something else that will happen if you pray those powerful, passionate prison prayers. They're answered. Verses 9 to 11. And he, that's Peter, went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and along the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and not from all that the Jewish people were expecting. See, at first, he didn't know what was going on. I mean, some people may call Peter's faith into question, but... I'm not. I mean, who's this guy we're talking about? Here's a guy who had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. We even heard about it a week or so ago that Peter did raise somebody from the dead for heaven's sakes. But then in verses 12 to 17, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name, other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to an answer. Came to answer. Here's, here's the story. You don't think the Bible's funny. I mean, this is funny stuff. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the door. But ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, so they kept saying, oh, it's his angel. 
But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. There's tremendous irony in this narrative. The answer to all of their prayers was standing where? At the door. But they were too busy praying to realize. Or maybe they didn't really realize that their prayers had been answered. I mean, after all, maybe they just thought, you just kind of got to go through the exercise of the motions because after all, that's what pious, God-fearing Christians do. It's almost as if they were saying, uh, don't bother us now, God, we're praying. And yet, a girl named Rhoda hears the prayers, tells them they think she's nuts, but they finally go, and there he is. One Bible commentary I read wrote something kind of funny. He said, uh, quote, God could get Peter out of prison, but Peter couldn't get himself into a prayer meeting. See, when they finally got up, they saw Peter. They were astonished. They were amazed. Peter called them together, explained this miraculous work of God that he'd done in prison. And, and why did God do this miracle? It's because God's people prayed. God had actually done what they had prayed for. But they weren't quite ready for it for some reason. Do you ever do that? Do you ever pray so hard about something that you actually miss the answer? Has that ever happened to you? If you ever get so wrapped up in the process of prayer that when the Lord actually tries to present the answer to you, you're saying, well, not now, Lord, I'm busy praying. Or could it possibly be that what you're praying for, you don't really expect him to answer? A number of years ago, I was in Russia. We were in Moscow, dead of winter. And at the place we were having the conference, there was a bus outside that got stuck in snow, so they asked some people to come outside to help. So five of us Americans went outside to help them with the bus. But we got out there. You know what? And five Russian guys came out with us besides. Well, you know what five American guys do. We're standing there going, oh, man, look how deep that snow is. Anybody got a tape measure? That's deep snow. I wonder if they have triple A around here anywhere. Uh, you know, I wonder if they could get a tractor or something. Uh, and by the way, where are the Russian guys? Well, we heard noise, so we walked around the other side of the bus. And what were the Russian guys doing? They were praying. And when they were done praying, they stood up against that bus and with one big push shoved it back up on the road. You know what the American guys did? Holy mackerel, look at the deep hole that bus came out of. Can you make, look, I'm going to put my foot in there. It comes all the way up to my knee. And then somebody says, where are the Russian guys? They were praying. And giving thanks. I'm embarrassed to say we never thought about it. We never even thought about it. Could it be sometimes we are just so accustomed to not having our prayers answered in the way that we hope they'd be answered that we seldom expect God to really do much when we pray? And as a result, we kind of end up praying simply because we're told we should. We end up praying kind of with just in hopes. I mean, that's a problem, and I think you all know the problem with that is doubt. I mean, we only go through the motions of prayer without really expecting God to do anything. We doubt whether God can, or we doubt that God cares, or maybe both. In short, we kind of have a trust problem with God. And I think that's kind of funny, because it ought to really be the other way around. I sometimes wonder whether God should trust us. I mean, can you imagine God trusting us to keep our word? Or to turn away from our sin, or to always do or say the things that are right. I mean, he can't because we don't, and by, by nature we won't. So many times we call upon God, 
to move in a mighty way. And when he does, we sometimes pass it off as circumstance. But see, our God works in marvelous ways. I can stand up and tell you story after story of healings I've seen. I can tell you about healings that I've been associated with. Miracles like the raising of the dead or people restored to health or buses being pushed by five guys out of a deep hole in Russia. You know, we should not only be amazed, we should be absolutely humbled that our God would work through us to get those things done. And you know what? God's enemies are also amazed when they see this happen. You know, at daybreak, the soldiers realized this was not going to be a really good day. Why? Their prisoner was gone. They knew they were dead men. Where did he go? Verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened. You betcha. When the power of God moves in your life, friends, your friends are going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed. And even people who wonder about you as a Christian are going to be amazed. I don't know. You remember that showdown between Elijah and Mount Carmel? That's one of my favorite stories. Oh, these prophets of Baal are up there. They're shouting and praying and all kinds of stuff. They're even cutting themselves and dancing around. They do this all day and nothing happens. Elijah goes up there and says, God, bring down fire. Boom, down comes the fire. And you better believe that in the short period between the time the prayer and their death, their enemies were flat out amazed how powerful Elijah's God was. See, people may look at you. And I tell you, they're going to look at you. And they're going to think you're wasting your time. Jay might understand this as a pastor. There are some people who will come and say, Jay, I've talked to everyone else. I thought I might as well just come and talk to you. Makes you feel good. And then, then they'll, they'll pour out your problem and you'll say to them, have you prayed about it? And they'll go, oh, come on, Jay, has it come to that? And you remind them again, yeah, you should have started there because it actually works. Yes, when people, God's people pray, prayers are answered. People are amazed. Power appears. And you read a little bit further in this chapter. Well, let's take a look at this one. This is kind of interesting. Verses 21 to 23. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, sat on his throne and made a speech. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, oh, it's the voice of God, not of man. It was at this time that God sent an angel to strike Herod because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So, as verses 21 and 23 says, he was consumed with worms and died. Turn to someone and say, yikes. <laughs> but, you know, there's another but here. The verse goes on and says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. See, our enemy may come against this church. The enemy may come against your pastor. The enemy may come against you. If that happens, what are you going to do? Pray. How are you going to pray? How about without ceasing? How about fervently? Troubles may come in your own life. What are you going to do? Pray. Remember, God is in control, and when the time comes, God deals with it. His power will appear. Now, do you want the power that the early church possessed? Yeah, okay. If the answer is yes, I, 
I certainly pray that it is. How do you get that? How do you access that? Let me give you five things in closing here. Number one, just seek God's presence. Eugene Peterson, I had a chance to meet him a number of years ago. He's the guy that wrote the message version of the Bible. And he says that prayer is like a river flowing out of the heart of God and returning back to him. And he said, our prayer really is just getting into that river. I kind of like that picture because it reminds us that prayer begins with God and not with us. We just need to seek his presence. The second thing is learn to listen. Oh, man, you want to learn how to pray. It's called communication. You need to listen. Well, you know what most of it, how we define listening, don't you? It's what you do until you wait till the other person stops talking. So you have a chance to talk again. <laughs> You're form- no, listen. Listen. Psalm uh, 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I mean, I've had people tell me, man, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed about this. And I said, well, then did you just stop for a while and listen to what God might have to say? Listen. Listen. Third thing might be to discover or rediscover his voice. I firmly believe that God still speaks to people. Although I'm going to tell you that as a pastor, I'm flat out amazed that any time I have ever said that when God spoke to me the other day or when God spoke to me last week, I get emails saying, well, he never talks to me. Do you ever listen? Do you know what his voice even sounds like? If you ever want to know what the voice of God sounds like, have somebody read the Bible to you. That's what God's voice sounds like. Rediscover the sound of his whisper. Rediscover the sound of his shout. The more time you spend with him, the more time you begin to recognize his voice, the greater your discernment in recognizing it. And number four, just yield your will. We sang this in the song tonight. I I love this. I'm reminded of Jesus in Gethsemane, that clash between his human will and his divine will. He's sweating great drops of blood. We find that anguish in him, and what is he praying? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, friends, submission itself is a discipline. When we come into the presence of God, we learn that. So we participate with God's desire. That's the last thing. We just get settled into that river. And we flow with wherever God wants to take us. And at this stage, then prayer kind of becomes a a manner of participating with what God is already doing. I think it's one of the great lessons I've learned as a pastor. It's not to say, God, this is what I'm doing. Come over here, would you please? It's more like saying, I wonder what God's up to, and can I go and join Him? See, these are the kind of prayers that I, I believe will truly change you. And they'll change the world around you. See, prayer is the key that helps us see God's plan and ignites God's heart to make it a reality. Prayer is the key connection point to the miraculous acts of God. Prayer is the key that moves God's heart. Prayer is the key that moves heaven and earth. Prayer is what moves people. It moves both people of God, angels, and believers to move with us, for us, and against our enemies. Prayer is the key that sets us free from the things both heaven and in earth that hold us back from being what God truly is. 
wants us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we fully admit that we don't pray as often as we should. Sometimes we pray with a great deal of doubt. Sometimes we're really not expecting you to answer. But Lord, what a wonderful key, what a wonderful gift you've given us to be able to communicate with you. Slow us down. Humble us. Teach us what your voice sounds like. Let's, let us get into that river that flows from your heart and it flows back to you. Lord, whatever happens in our lives, good, bad, evil, teach us to pray. It's in your precious and powerful name that we do. Amen. Amen.